Hey folks, I hope everyone's doing well. I'm still on my busy leave with gigs coming in left, right and centre. And I finally got through the Beatles documentary. So to fill out this week, I'm just going to repost my Man Love episode for Ringo Starr and I'll hopefully be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks guys. Have a good one. guys thank you so much for listening with this week's episode 4x4 released a few days ago i celebrated my 24th hour anniversary of content and podcast land if you have listened to every episode i'm afraid you have wasted a whole day listening to my fluff if you had have used that time to learn how to knit you may have a new jumper by now so i wanted to squeeze out a quick bonus episode and i thought i would spread some ringo love as i haven't really touched on drumming and drummers much as sometimes i forget they're people so for bonus episode number four, I'm going to do little to no research and just list my top favourite 10 Ringo Starr drum moments off the top of my head. And because I'm excellent at maths, I'll spread the top 10 moments into 12 songs. I will try to keep them in some sort of release order just to satisfy my need to make things slightly more difficult for myself. First up, I want to debunk a story about a John Lennon quote that he never actually said. The story goes that when John was asking in an interview if Ringo was the best drummer in the world, he answered, Ringo isn't even the best drummer in the Beatles. I looked online for the interview and dug a huge rabbit hole looking for it, but alas, it never happened. The joke actually first appeared in a sketch on a British Radio 4 comedy sketch show called Radio Active on the 6th of October, 1981, and here it is. Just one thing you need for the LP. Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr? All right, all right. Maybe Ringo Starr wasn't the best drum in the world. Oh. <laughs> all right, maybe he wasn't the best drum in the Beatles, but he's a name. Ringo Starr? Yeah, all right, all right. We don't have to have Ringo Starr. Oh, good, good. good yeah. We could have John Conti. John Conti. Or Jeff Conti. Let's start with the song that finishes outside one of the Beatles' debut album, Please Please Me, recorded in nine days in February 1963. The song was released as a single on the 11th of March 1963 and went to number one on the New Musical Express and Melody Maker charts in the UK, but only went to number two on the Record Retailer chart, which eventually evolved into the UK Singles charts. Because of this, it was omitted from the Beatles compilation called Number Ones. The Beatles could release an album full of number twos and I'd probably still dig it. Who does number two work? That's right, buddy. You show that turd who's boss. Here's George Martin, Paul and John talking about Please Please Me. It was quite normal in those days to find material for artists by going to Tim Pan Alley and listening to all the publishers' wares. I mean, that was a regular part of my life. I would spend a long time looking for songs. And the songs I was looking for for the Beatles was really a hit song. It didn't matter, so long as it suited their, their group. And um, Love Me Do, as I say, was the best one they were able to offer. The kind of song I was looking for, I did actually find. And that was a song by Mitch Murray called How Do You Do It? And I was convinced this was a hit song. How do you do what you do to me? I wish I knew. If I knew Not a great piece of uh, songwriting. You know, it wasn't the most marvellous song I'd ever heard in my life, but I think, thought it had that essential element which would appeal to a lot of people. And we did record it. Um, John took the lead. Oh, 
to me, I do it to you. George said, well, it's a number one song. You want a number one? This is it. We said, yeah, but we cannot go back up to Liverpool singing that. We cannot be seen with that song. So we never issued How Do You Do It? But I did later give it to Jerry and the Pacemakers, and it did become number one. So George Martin says, well, have you got anything you'd like to do? We said, uh, we've got a song called Please Please Me. This is one John had uh, just written. And it was kind of slow Roy Orbison kind of thing. Come on, jum, jum, come on, please, please me. Big nose at the end, just like Orbison. And I'd heard Roy Orbison doing Only the Lonely or something, and I was trying to, please me, that's where that came from. And also, I was always intrigued by the words of, please lend your little ears to my please, being Crosby songs. Mm-hmm. I was always intrigued by the, the double use of the word please. And I said, OK, we'll give it a whirl. Let's try your song. Let's see if it works. And we did. And at the end of that session, I was able to tell them, you got your first number one. Great. Anyway, I've added this song for the memorable snare work in the pre-chorus, and here it is. song was ranked at number 64 on the Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Songs of All Time and was a number one in New Zealand, US, UK, Canada and embarrassingly number three in Australia. Here's Paul at Abbey Road talking about the writing of She Loves You. We would get rung up by Brian Epstein and he'd say, right chaps, you've got the week off next week because you're in the studio the week after and I'd like you to write the album. Right. And we go, oh yeah, <laughs> hey, you know, like that was like, wow, week off. Yeah. And, and we never looked at it like, what? Write an album in a week? It was more like, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. So, I mean, every day John and I sat down to write. What, opposite, opposite each other with an acoustic guitar? Two acoustics, yeah. me left-handed, him right-handed. Yeah. Sort of looking at each other as if it was like in a mirror, both playing the same chords. We didn't get too fancy, you know, we just both played the chords. We would start off, like I just sort of described, we start off with some sort of idea, roughly, get a first verse, and then bounce off each other. So by the time we'd done two or three hours, which is normally our attention span, we had a little sheet of, uh, with lyrics written down on it, and we just had to remember the tune. Mm. There was no such things as cassettes, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> or you know, uh, anything to put it down on. So you just had to remember it, which we ended up thinking that was actually a, a good thing. What were some of the songs you can remember writing very quickly under those sort of circumstances? Um, she loves you, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in a hotel bedroom, yeah, on twin beds with the two guitars, and uh, we just had to knock it up for it needed a single or something, you know. Even as young men, did you think you could always pick out your goodens? I mean, or were they all goodens? <laughs> well, I think looking back on the Beatles thing, there, there was actually quite a few goodens. Yeah, you know, that we didn't necessarily <laughs> think were that good at the time. But they, some of them that we didn't think were good, I now think are quite good. Like what? Um, ooh, one thing's which she loves you. Right. I mean, that's quite good. We, 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 I don't think that was our favourite at the time. Yeah. But we were trying to write a hit. Mm. You know, and you've got to remember, it was very singles orientated in those days. So you were, even though you're making an album, you were actually making an album of singles. One of which or two of which would be pulled off 
and would be your big singles hit. So you were writing quite sort of concise little pieces. And I say we got into the habit of just doing it in one go, hardly ever revisiting it, hardly ever revising the words. And I think it's interesting, if that's how you have to work, that's how you work. Yeah. You know, if you've got two weeks to do it, that's how you'll work. Well, we didn't. And when we came into the studio, this studio, we had three hours in which to do two songs. Right. You know, finished. And here's the great intro fill and double snare magic of She Loves You. up is a great John Lennon song, which wasn't released as a single in Australia, but went to number one everywhere else, America, UK, Canada, and New Zealand. Paul McCartney said that the guitar riff was influenced by a song by Bobby Parker called Watch Your Step. also stated that the drums were inspired by Ray Charles' 1959 classic, What'd I Say? Anyway, the Tom and Ride work is super cool. Here's the drums from I Feel Fine in Isolation. Dave Stewart from the Arrhythmics talking about Ringo's late shoulder magic and ticket to ride. What are we going to do? Well, I just think that some of your drum patterns yeah. are, uh, you know, like this particular song when I was listening to the radio, I think I mentioned before, and Ticket to Ride came on the radio. Yeah. 
the drum pattern I immediately noticed wasn't a straightforward drum pattern. And how does it go? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a minute there. A bit like... Yeah. Hey, was that it? Uh, well, it's one very interesting... <laughs> it was pretty close. There was one very interesting thing, which... <clears throat> the second downbeat... Yeah. And I think it's because of the shoulder... I play with my shoulder, you see, so it's like... Exactly. You know, well, uh, even this... Exactly, and that, that second downbeat is, is late. Sli slightly late. Which yeah. Whenever I've tried to get drummers to play with me that trap, they never seem to get that lateness, and it's to do with the swing, isn't it? It is uh, to do with the swing, or as we keep mentioning, medication. <laughs> demo for my next choice, We Can Work It Out. John Lennon somehow ended up with the cassette tape for this song and thought it was a blank tape and recorded over it with a poem called Lucy from Little Town. And here it is. Trying to see it my way Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on While you see it your way Run a risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone We can work it out We can work it out Think of what you're saying You can get it wrong and still you think that it's alright Think of what I'm saying We can work it out And this week's couple number I've added We Can Work It Out because I remember it was the first time before I had any music theory knowledge I can remember feeling that the end half of the bridge was in a different time signature. Another number one hit in the UK and a number five in the US, and it was released as a double A-sided single with Day Tripper. In uh, a recent article, Time Magazine put down pop music, and they referred to uh, Day Tripper as being about a prostitute, right. and Norwegian Wood about as being about a lesbian. Oh, yeah. Now, I just wanted to know what what your intent was when you wrote it and what, sh what your feeling is about the Time magazine criticism of the music that is being written today. Well, you're just trying to write songs about prostitutes and lesbians, that's all. <laughs> 
And here it is. We can work it out. Think of what you're saying. You can get it wrong and still you think that it's all right. Think of what I'm saying. We can work it out and get it straight. I'll say good night. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. Try to see it my way Only time will tell if I am right or I am wrong While you see it your way There's a chance that we might fall apart before too long We can work it out We can work it out Here's Ringo on Conan O'Brien's show talking about why he has a different approach and subsequently a unique style. And to distinguish yourself on maybe the drums and yet... I don't, I always know when it's you. You have the most distinctive sound and rhythm of of any player that I've ever heard. And I realized, I think I read an interview once where you said it's because you sort of taught yourself and you learned a few things the wrong way. Well, no, I was born left-handed. Right. And my grandmother thought that was uh, not a good sign. And so she turned me Mm right-handed. So I write right-handed. Anything else I do left-handed, golf, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so I have a a right-handed kit, but I lead with my left. Uh, It makes it weird because, you know, I need time to, he'll understand, to do a fill, you know, because... He's high. We established that already. He can do this. He can roll from the the snare to the top tom. And go all the way around. Right. Where I can't do that. Right. Because I've got to come under all the time. Right. But I can go this way really cool. Yeah, but what, what, yeah. what's amazing is that, you know, uh, as I said, my kids, uh, they yeah. listen to Beatle music all the time, so almost every day I'm listening to your drumming, and I grew yeah. up listening to it, and I'm always hearing this, these sequences, which you were just doing. I don't, I'm sure you sure. weren't even working it out beforehand. You just did it, and now it's immortalized. Uh, yeah, I never worked it out. So I, I could never work a fill out. It comes in the emotion of the song. Right. And so I could never double a fill. You know what I mean? I couldn't... We put the track down and then, okay, double that fill. I could never do it because it just came off whenever it came off. You, 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 yeah, you couldn't duplicate you know, it's the exact same thing. emotional style I have. You said uh, before the show you were saying that one of your, probably your favorite uh, drum track of the Beatles was Rain. Rain, Which yeah. interests me because I was thinking about it. That is just fantastic drumming and for the time very different from anything you had heard before. Well, it wasn't so much from what I'd heard before. I feel that when I played Rain... Uh, it, it was the first time I sort of played that busy and the last time I played that busy I never sort of played like that again right you know it's like a, one of those weird tracks and here's the song Ringo was talking about Rain a song that John Lennon wrote about the rain he witnessed in Sydney, Australia
was actually the B-side for the next stop on my Ringo trip, Paperback Rider, another number one in the US, UK, New Zealand, Canada and Australia. I've included Paperback Rider as I've always loved the track, one of the first hard rock riffs ever in my opinion. Some great weird 16th hi-hat work in the verses. Paperback Writer. Paperback Rider, Rain and my next choice were all recorded in April 1966. This track was a big leap forward for the Beatles in the studio and the reverse guitar part is thought to be the first example of the technique in a pop recording and part of John's vocals were fed through a Leslie speaker. When released, the song was met with some confusion and ridicule and now it is viewed as one of the first songs of the psychedelic genre. Another great drum idea from Ringo. Here's Ringo talking about a weird haircut experience in 1964. And his last line could be the phrase where John got the title for Tomorrow Never Knows. Now, Ringo, I hear you were manhandled at the Embassy Ball. Is this right? Not really. Someone just cut a bit of my hair. Let's have a look. We've seen the golf you left. the difference? <laughs> <He's> <laughs> that long this side. What happened exactly? I don't know. I was just talking, having an interview, just like I am now. I was talking away and then... <laughs> here it goes. And I looked down, there's about 400 people just... Smiling, see? We had that in the other program. <laughs> you know, so you can't play, you know, what can you say? What can you say? Oh, yeah, Tomorrow okay. never knows. London. I was playing Premier at the time, uh, sort of an English make, very heavy. But anyway, I loved anything American. And uh, 
We went past this uh, music store, instrument store in London, and they had this kit. I said, oh, great, look at this kit. I just loved the kit, it was that Black Pearl. I just loved that, and it was American. And when we went in and I bought it, because Brian was like, you know, a great manager, and would buy amps and instruments to help us progress. And uh, as I buy this kit, the guy goes to rip off the Ludwig sign. I said, no, 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 you gotta leave that on. It's American. <laughs> and that's how it became famous. Now, most people are leaving the, you know, we're all doing free adverts for whichever company we're, we're playing. So that's how it started. I just loved the, the, the look of the kit. It was American and uh, it sounded great. I play them to this day. I'm the best advert Ludwig ever had. And, uh, you know, so many people have bought kits because I played Ludwig. And so that, that's the whole story, really. It was in the store, we went in, I wanted that kit, the guy went to rip off the Ludwig sign, and I said, don't be crazy, leave that on, and the rest is history. I actually have an early Ludwig club date in Sky Pearl Blue, which I bought off Sammy from Fools and Doc Halibut, and he tells me it has a 65 bass drum, the rack tom is from 1968, and the floor tom he thinks is from 1965, and the snare is a 70s era Acrolyte. Check out my Instagram feed for a couple of photos of the kit if you're into drum porn. Speaking of the band Fools, myself and my best mate Luke, who's the singer of Fools, flew to Sydney in February 2013 to see Ringo and his all-star band and met up with another great mate and Ringo Nut Tutty. And the gig was great fun. And the next day we actually bumped into his band members at Bondo Beach, which was Greg Rowley from Santana and Journey. Mark Rivera from Billy Joel's band, Greg Bissonette from David Lee Roth's band, Todd Rundgren, but unfortunately no Lucifer and no Ringo. It still was a great memory. Check out my Instagram feed for a photo of the tour program, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. Ringo actually briefly left the Beatles in 1968 while recording back in the USSR for the White Album. And here's the story. You felt when those three guys were all together, they had bonded somehow. Well, that was the White Album. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you walked out of the Beatles. Well, no, I only uh, went out because I did feel like it was, you know, we'd done Pepper and that was fine. And we were trying to be a band again, which I love. Right. And then I'm looking, you know, I'm there in the studio and it's like, I, I don't feel good. I don't feel part of it. So I go and knock on John's door and I say, hey. You know, I just don't feel right. I don't feel that, you know, I'm part of this. You three seem so close. And he goes, I thought it was you three. <laughs> right. So I said, okay, I go and knock on Paul's door. And I tell him the same thing. And, you know, I don't feel part of this. I feel you three are so close. And he goes, I thought it was you three. Right. So I said, fuck it, I'm off. Yeah. You is know? that part of the horror of being in a The great part of being in a band is you have your mates and, you know. It's, I love it's being great. in a band. I always have. But the worst is the paranoia and fear. Well, you don't have it every day. And, right. you know, the great thing, you know, then I came back and they were sending faxes to me, come on home. Right. And George at the studio full of flowers. That was great. And, uh... And then we did Yeah Blues in a, a room about eight foot square. And we were like this rock band again. So and so you... we started playing more like a band after the downtime we had on Pepper, you know, putting orchestras on and trumpet players. I've got to put the next one in just for the great relentless snare work. 
Here's Ronnie Wood from The Stones and Paul McCartney talking about Get Back, the rooftop gig, and Billy Preston, who also played with The Stones. Uh, I played with you at the O2 uh, um, quite recently, and I played with you again, uh, Get Back, at the Royal Albert Hall. You know, because I've never really played with you live apart from that song twice, and I thought, yeah. this is great. It's yeah. our song, Ron. Yeah, put it there, yeah, great, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great, because the thing is, you know, you were, we didn't have any rehearsal. No. So it was one of those backstage, like, you, you, what, do you want to get up? Come on, Ron. You know, and, and it was like, boom, 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 you're in, I you're thought, on. I thought, well, he doesn't know the solo, but, you know, I'm going to give him one. So just go, go. And, it, and he played the play. Actually, he came up to me and went, not bad, actually. Yeah, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It was great. Yeah. So this is the song we play together. Get back. I remember you played this on the roof, didn't you, at the old Savile Row? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, we were doing... It's one of the last times you got together, wasn't it? I think it was the last time we played, yeah. We were, uh, we were doing this whole Let It Be project and we were going to maybe have an ocean liner we were going to do a concert on or we were going to do it in some big stadium. I had grand plans. Yeah. Ended up just saying, let's sod it, let's go on the roof, you know. <laughs> All the other people coming out of their offices and said, yeah, yeah, it was great, man. Yeah, I always think of that when I drive around there, you know, I think, oh, I wonder if they're still up there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and lots of people think I'm mad. I go, that's where the Beatles played up there. You know, yeah. they go, well, no, it's Impossible. not possible. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. And Billy Preston, we miss him, yeah, don't we? Oh, I love uh, Billy, yeah. He's a lovely boy. And again, none of these solos or anything are written, you know, like, because we don't work like that. Yeah. He's just come up with that. Exactly, with yeah. That. Oh, yeah. Take it, Bill. And he yeah. comes up with that. We wrote a, um, a solo together um, like that. Um, called, a, a Stone song called Crazy Mama. It it's the guitar and the piano harmonizing. But it's, it's fantastic. With Billy, you just join in and you're there, you know, yeah. magic. Yeah. First time we ever met him was when Little Richard came to Hamburg and Billy was his 16-year-old accompanist on organ. Yeah. He was just like a, a little kid. And didn't he do a bit of an apprenticeship with Ray Charles too, Billy? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, fantastic, huh? Wow. 
was supposed to be the end, but we're having too much fun. Up next is another Ringo moment on my list, purely for the intro fill and also for the rest of it. A perfect song, great vocal, great bass line, great guitar solo, amazing lyrics, a seamless key change, the masterful something. Something in the way she moves Attracts me like no other lover Something in the way she woos me I don't want to leave her now So I introduced a new segment in this week's episode proper that I'm still thinking of a title for, but I'll just play the song and that will hopefully explain it. And also, I hope you agree with, just because you can, doesn't mean you have to. There's a man there you know, he's the host of the show, and you'll find that he fucking hates choirs. going to hit that now it's been so long uh, the interesting thing with this pattern is that it's actually the bass that opens that song yeah and you know john's words you know that was that's the intro there's no like real verse or anything yeah. and so we're sitting around and it was just like tr- playing with what he was saying mm. and with what the the bass line was doing Mm. And, you know, trying to find sort of an interesting piece. Because besides this part that comes in several times, the rest of it is just like, it's just like pause, you know what I mean? It's real easy. But why we got to this is because, you see, I'm left-handed and I'm playing a right-handed kit. If there's any drummers in here, see, they usually go, you know, they go round the drum this way. Well, I can't do that. See, I can't go... I have to get this hand down. So that's why everyone thought, wow, he's a genius, but all we're doing is trying to play backwards. <laughs> you know, so he goes, uh. So it comes around this way, and all my fills, which, you know, I have, you know, they don't come in fast. There's always a break because I have to get this hand ready. So it's like... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's like one of those mad accidents. You can't learn it. So I was left-handed. My grandmother didn't like that. She made me go right-handed. And so I have a right-handed kit, but actually I'm a left-handed player. 
I hope that answers all your questions. Come Together and Something were released as a double A-sided single that went to number one in the US and number four in the UK. Here's Ringo's great Tom work in Come Together. my 12th choice from my top 10 Ringo Beatle moments in almost chronological order also happens to be the last track recorded with all four Beatles on it. Originally called The Ending, apart from the little ditty Her Majesty thrown on the end of Abbey Road, it's the end and a perfect wrap-up to the greatest seven years of recording ever in my opinion. Here's the drum solo and the dreamy ending of The End. Thank you so much for listening again and a quick apology to these two great fills. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you dig it. And if you don't like it, why are you still listening, you vlog? I'm loving doing the podcast and I'm meeting some new people online from all over the world, hearing great music that I probably wouldn't have heard if it wasn't for the podcast. And it's also been great brain therapy too. All past episodes and Spotify playlists for each episode are on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. And you can follow me on Instagram, arockandrollrabbithole podcast for updates and some fun, positive rock music vibes. 
Thanks again, guys. And please go to a rating for the podcast, especially you people in San Diego, Texas, and New York. Yep, that's you. I see the numbers there. Put down your firearms and your decaf lattes and your huge steaks or whatever you guys are packing and rate a mate. Thanks again. I'll see you on Monday with a proper episode. Cheers. Bye. You stay classy, San Diego. How the fuck was that?